Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical, with your hosts, hosts, authors Keith Giles and Matthew J. DiStefano. Welcome back to another episode. If I sound if I sound odd, it's because I'm getting over a sinus infection. So I'm like talking like this. Yeah, you, you sound kind of nasally. I, I sound a little nasally, but that's all right. We're going to power through because this podcast doesn't matter. It's the uh, it's the stepchild, really. It's it's the redheaded stepchild. It no offense to all our ginger fans out there. <laughs> all of our gingers. We love you. All of our we gingers. Do. No, this yeah. podcast has been doing well, actually. I've looked at the numbers and we're actually going up. So more people are listening. So welcome to the show. We're glad you're here. Yes. We <clears> have <throat> another great episode in store for you. Before we get into any of the good stuff, we have a, a, a word from our sponsor. Mm-hmm. And like always, we think you're going to enjoy this. Make sure that you give them give them a, you know, whatever product they're selling, you you make sure to buy it. Click it. That's right. Got to pay the bills here, everybody. Gotta That's right. We got to keep the lights on. on. That's right. So let's yep. get into it. Are you looking for an interactive and educational Bible-based board game to help teach your children God's Word and provide hours of family fun? Well, then you'll love the new Easy Bible Board Game from Whoopi Toys. It's a game you just can't lose. That's right. Every multiple-choice question in our Easy Bible Board Game offers a variety of scriptural support to any answer you choose. For example, does God require sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins? Is it a. Yes, Exodus 20:24, 20, or B. No, Jeremiah 7:22. Well, they're both correct. What are the consequences of seeing God's face? Is it A. The preservation of life, Genesis 32:30, B. Instant death, Exodus 33:20, or C. No one could ever see God's face, 1 Timothy 6:16. They're all correct. Does God's wrath last forever? Is it A, yes, Jeremiah 17.4, or B, no, Micah 7.18? They're both correct. Were humans created before or after the animals? A, before, Genesis 2.18, or B, after, Genesis 1.25? Yes! On the road to Damascus, did Paul's traveling companions hear the voice of Jesus? Is it A, yes, Acts 9.7, or B, no, Acts 22.9? Well, they're both right, and since there are no wrong answers, your kids will enjoy learning Bible verses as they advance to the winner's circle and take a victory lap for Jesus. Order your easy Bible board game today, and you'll receive a free box of Nicolas Cage Left Behind DVDs to give away to your friends or use as novelty drink coasters. Just visit www.easybibleboardgame.com today to order the Bible board game you just can't lose. Oh, that was good. I like the, I like the little nod to the Heretic Happy Hour. Yeah, you know that's what we're all about. We're just showing the love, living in the, the board game that's been in development for over <laughs> five years. <laughs> oh my gosh! At this point, I just don't even know. It's like the it's the longest running joke we have. This board it's, game. Yeah, it's as long, it's as long as the hotline. But um, yeah, you know. But I, I want to live in the world where those exist. So hopefully one day we will. One day. At least one of those board games. One will day exist. before before I turn fifty. Yeah. So I've got uh, I've got an interesting topic. I haven't for the listeners. I haven't told Keith what we're talking about. So Not really. I'm going no. to put you on the spot. I think you're going to enjoy the topic. So what I wanted to talk about was repentance, mm-hmm. but not not in the Christianese way, but in in this context, I'll give you the context. Please. No matter what you say online, whether it's in your books, you face this, I face this. It's especially true when we are affirming of the LGBTQ community or yeah. when we when we say something about Jesus that evangelicals don't like or the Bible especially or maybe uh, we don't believe in hell. Uh, we are told to repent. And I am fascinated by the concept of repent and the irony that – I can't think of the last time evangelicals have repented 
in the traditionally Greek sense of the word, changed yeah. their mind. How many yes. churches? Because I, I was thinking about this when I was on a podcast, and and I've ran into this. I was interviewed by by a podcast that shall remain nameless. But the, and the you got guy, some pushback. You got a the guy back. who was giving me a lot of grief <laughs> was exactly the same as he was the first time I met him, like five years ago, literally yes. five years ago. Yes. And I was like, this dude's the same. He's got the same beliefs, the same approach, the same everything. And I'm like, that just seems to be like the the way in which evangelicals do things. Like they don't change. They want everybody else to change. They want everyone to change to be to be basically like go back to what they were. If you deconstructed, they say repent, meaning go back to what you came from. But the irony is that you did repent, which is why you changed. <laughs> right. Yeah, the the fact is, um, I am the victim of repentance, and it's my continual <laughs> repentance which has brought me to this exact place. Yes, exactly. I can't stop repenting. I am a serial repenter. <laughs> yes, and that, and and that's. I don't like the word on one hand because it, it comes with Christian baggage. Yeah, it's very um, very very judgmental. A lot of guilt and yeah, shame. A lot of guilt and that. shame. Yeah. Yeah. But if we strip all that away from it. Then the word is – it's really how you should approach spirituality. Yes. Because you should, yes. you're always changing. You know, To give you a shameless plug, not that you need more book sales, but okay. I'm sure your Soul of Mysterium book is only a book because you have – you are a serial repenter. Like yep. you say, oh, I've experienced this today and I experienced that tomorrow. So then I kind of hold things loosely and I change as my experiences – as I gain new experiences. I change yep. my mind about things continually. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this whole deconstruction movement is a movement built on repentance. The Greek word, you know, metanoia, think different. It's a continual thinking different. And you're constantly questioning what you think, you know, what you think you believe and, and not ever reaching this place of being sure about it and, and certain about it, right. Always holding loosely like, well, I, I mean, Right now, my best guess is this is where I'm at, but that could change, and I'm willing to change my mind, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about. That that's what he's saying. You know, it's funny too because um, I need to I need to track it down about where exactly this happened in church history because it's actually a Latin phrase, so it's probably it's probably post fourth fifth century at least. Well, anyway, I need to look it up, but I, I came I came across it in a in a book um, where the guy was talking about uh, early, you know, quote unquote, early Christianity. But there was a, I guess, a, a community of Christians, and their motto was in the Latin is "conversatio morum," and uh, what the way he describes it is "conversatio morum" can be translated two different ways. It can be translated one way, which is death to the status quo, which sounds like a great tattoo, right? Sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> Doesn't it? I mean, no, seriously, yeah. I don't even know a guy that got that tattoo, Conversacio Badass. Death to the status quo. And like, dude, that's that's awesome. But the other way to translate Conversacio Morum is constant conversion, which is exactly uh-huh. what we're talking about. In other words, like we need to get back to a Christianity that that is our motto. That's our tattoo. We are willing to be constantly converted, not just one time when you were nine years old and you walked down the aisle and prayed the prayer with Pastor Bob, like every single day you wake up, you are in a, in a posture of being reconverted, reevaluating, rethinking everything, repenting, right? Uh, I think that's exactly the state we should be in. So in a way, when Christians say you should repent, absolutely, you're right, we should. But the thing is, it seems like we're the ones repenting and they're right. not. Yeah. Right. It's like, I mean, ask a Calvinist when the last time they repented. Not not of their sins or their little peccadillos, but yep. truly repented. Like took a 180 of what you used to believe and what you yep. now believe. Yep. You won't, you won't find people who change their mind on – if they believed in hell 10 years ago, they believe in hell today. That's right. If they believe the Bible is the word of God 10 years ago, today. LGBT, same thing. I mean, down the... I mean, no, I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree, man. I think, um, I mean, this just kind of gets to my one of my kind of pet peeves as well. And hopefully this doesn't take us off the topic, but um, it's one of the reasons why, like I bumped heads with a few 
of my progressive author, you know, friends on this, on this point, um, like when it comes to like the creeds and stuff like that. Right. So, um, and that's okay if you're a listener and you're like really into the creeds, that's great, but I'm just really not. And, um, and so for some Christians, even progressive quote unquote deconstructed Christians and authors and people like that, they, they want to go back and hold on to the creeds as like, okay, this is some important thing we need to hold on to. And I really don't, number one, because um, I kind of don't agree with some of the creeds, the way they're phrased. And secondly, um, because the more I've studied church history, the more I've realized how many of those creeds were so politically um, inspired and motivated. Exactly. Like they weren't just statements of faith. They were specific statements of faith intended to marginalize and eliminate and silence Christians who had slightly different beliefs. So. I guess for those reasons, I'm not into the creeds. And and again, because I think creeds kind of silence other voices. They prevent you from repenting. This the way we're talking about it. For to, to take a different view and say, okay, well, maybe I do believe, um, let's say, in the, in the resurrection of Christ, right? So that a creed might say, I believe in the resurrection of Christ. Okay, but... Don't I have the freedom to say, I do believe in the resurrection, but I might not see it or define it exactly the way you do or somebody else, or maybe even the way I used to, or to look at like, um, to say like one of the creeds saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, okay, I could say that, but I may not mean what you mean by the idea of sort of the, the, the coming of Christ. Like to me, that's the coming of Christ is in us every day, right? So Christ is living in us every day. It's not like a specific date and time that Jesus is going to blow a trumpet and be riding a cloud pony in the sky. That's not what I mean. And and so again, for those reasons, I'm not a big fan of those that kind of creedal Christianity because it sort of defines the kind of repentance you're talking about away. Well, yeah, and it, it I think it opens the door to draw divisions. So what if someone completely out and out says, I don't believe in the resurrection. So you can't hang out with us. We can't be in the same church. We can't commune together. We can't share a meal. Right. You know, so it's, so it's like, I I see on the one hand why you would have something that you all kind of share that you believe in. Sure. But I think if you get, if you get like granular at all, I think that kind of lends itself to being, rigid dogmatic yeah and i i don't i don't like that and historically like you said that seems to have happened for yes. political reasons for other reasons i mean you go to the apostles creed compared to the westminster confession of faith there there's been over a thousand years of a really like huge shift to where you have to affirm hundreds of things <laughs> yes. and so like that thing's been around for like 4 or 500 years and if you believe that whole thing and if you lived 500 years, like the man from Earth or whatever the fuck that film was, like <laughs> you would ne- you would never change. You'd be like, oh, I've, I've, I've affirmed this for 500 years and I haven't changed. So you've never repented of any worldview that you have, any belief that you have. You've yeah. been right and you're right today. And in 500 years, you'll still think the same thing and you'll be right then. <laughs> it's like, come on now. Yeah, that's – yeah, I, I'm just – I can't do that. That is not um, – no. Not the way I work. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, yeah, if your faith is alive, it should be growing. And and I know, obviously, this is why you have progressives and conservatives, you know, sort of categories within Christianity, because you either have the view that you and I are saying, which is that, you know, your faith should have room and space for growth and change and reflection and repentance and all these kind of things. And that, that is faith. I mean, to me, that is faith. Like if it's not that, I don't know what to call it. That's a dogmatism, right? Or it's, it's, it's the hard, cold religion that is just a religion and it's just a statement of beliefs and it's rigid and you have to believe this to be in, to be included or you're out. And I just don't want anything to do with that. If that's what, I'm supposed to belong to or be a part of. I don't want that. Um, So obviously though, for some people that is what they want, right? They believe, again, this is why I think you either have, you're on one side or the other. So my friends who are, who are creedal Christians, 
would say, and they flat out said this to me, that that Christianity is a, um, I can't remember exactly the way they phrased it, but something like how Christianity is a faith that is received. In other words, okay. the faith, if you have Christianity, it's a it's one that came to you through this great cloud of witnesses, right? That we can trace all the way back to Tertullian and Irenaeus and Justin Martyr and all these guys, right? So on one level, I could say, sure. But at the same time, as we've said many times on this podcast, and I've said I've said myself several times, like, I don't know, just because I can see that one of these church fathers believed something, I can acknowledge, yeah, I see he believed that, but that doesn't mean I have to believe it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, to me, it's like, no matter what we say about our faith, what does it do for us anthropologically, socially, culturally? Because it, if it if it harms, then we have to, we, it's it's pointless. And see the creeds and and all those sort of things. What is it? What is it offered? What what practical benefit does it have to putting those in place? And has it not led to more and more and more and more complicated things that we have to affirm? Otherwise, what what's what's the um, what's the consequence of not affirming that? Yep. Well, pretty quickly we got eternal punishment. Oh, ooh. you know, <laughs> and then, you know what by. By you know three hundred or two hundred or three hundred CE, yeah. we we mm. get eternal fire and all that kind of language. Yeah. Well, it did take very long to have a a very big like ultimatum mm-hmm. based on the creeds and and if you yeah. don't affirm this, you're not in line with us, and then we can burn you at the stake or we can do whatever we want. Yeah, yeah, dismiss you and then and say you're not really a believer and you're a heretic and all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's um. It's I mean, really I'm cool sad. with a creed that's something like. I don't always know what I believe. Today I believe one thing, tomorrow I don't. But I'm going to do my best to be a good person. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to be empathetic and compassion. Right. This is what we all believe. It's like that I can get on board with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no. And see, honestly, that's kind of what I was going at. Again, a little plug for my book, Solo Mysterium, was saying, look, I, I, I'm, I can really only be on board with something like that. Like you said, like we really don't know anything when it comes to God and you know, even what I think I could affirm, um, I still hold it really loosely and I still not even sure I could say I know it with any kind of certainty, but I would just say, um, this is what I, what I can hold on to. Um, which is like, again, that there, yes, there, the God, a, a God exists. Um, we are connected to that God. I believe that God is love. I believe that God does look like Jesus. And, um, but beyond that, I don't know what I can say I believe. And, or, I mean, I can say what I believe, but I can't say what I know with any level of certainty, right? So, yeah. Um, and it's going back too, to what you said too. Like, back when we were in our house church, you know, early on in our house church, we were, somebody had challenged, all right, you know, like, well, we don't have a, we needed a statement of faith. What's our statement of faith? And for a minute, we were going to do, I was going to grab like the Apostles' Creed and say, okay, well, we could all agree on this creed thing, right? I just went to the creeds because it seemed like that was kind of made sense. But one of the guys in our house church made a very, I I thought a very wise observation, which sent us in a different direction. And he just said, you know, every time go through, look at church history. And every time the church tried to create unity by coming up with a set of doctrines or a statement of faith or a creed, what they ended up doing was creating more division. And with every new doctrine, with every new creed, there was another division and another division. So that actually, even what you think you're doing is creating unity. What you're really doing is creating division. What you're saying is, well, everybody here believes one, two, and three. And then someone goes, well, I only believe one and two. I don't believe three. Oh, well, then you're out. Well, then that guy leaves and he starts his own little thing. He goes, we'll believe, I believe one and two. Well, well, but we, but I also believe four. Oh, no, no, we don't do that. Well, then you're out. What about seven? (laughs) What about seven? (laughs) Oh, wait, seven. You're, man, you're way out. (laughs) <laughs> so exactly. So that's why we have thousands of denominations today um, and all kinds of different things is because we've we've had this habit for freaking 2000 years almost. We've had this habit of saying um, to be part of our community, you have to affirm all of these things. And if you if you don't agree with all of them, well, then you're out. And then your option is to either pretend and this is again, this is the thing I talk about a lot with because um, I consult sometimes with people that are wanting to start house churches and I and I try to give them this advice, like don't have a statement of faith. And here's why, because of this division thing. 
And it's like, because it's an illusion. Even churches and denominations that have these statements of faith and they have these new believers classes. And so people will, I'm telling you right now, people are going to go through your class. They're going to sign the document that they believe everything that you believe, but they don't. They don't believe everything, but they're going to pretend that they do because you have a kick-ass youth group or or their wife works in the office and they need the job or you know their their kids like some other kids and like playing with them in the in the uh in the children's you know ministry or something i mean for whatever reason they want to they want to be a part of that community of, of that church to do that they have to jump through your hoops they're going to uh-huh. they're going to say that they do but they don't really so you don't really have true unity in that church you have people that are afraid to tell you that they really don't agree with everything because they, they know yep. if they if they express a different view of one of those major points that they're going to get kicked out and they don't want to get kicked out. So I've, I've had a pastor admit that. I've yeah. had a pastor admit that uh, yeah. years later. I stayed there not only for this, but it was a paycheck. Yeah. And it's like, well... Yeah, I didn't want to say that, but I'm glad you did because it's yes. what I've been thinking. And, and it just it it those statements of faith and those creedal statements they don't. If you're rigid, and most of them are, they don't allow for true repentance. Because even if you sign them, let's say you sign one, yeah, and then six months later you don't believe that anymore, are you going to go tell them? No, of course not. Be like, oh, I would like to amend the thing I signed because, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, page number seven, section page, six. Yep, I don't, <laughs> I don't agree with that anymore. No, you're never gonna. You you may have repented internally or to your family if you know if you're comfortable doing that, and say I changed my view on the LGBTQ community and I can no longer I no longer affirm that. Yes, but I make five thousand dollars a month at the church, yeah. so. Do I tell them? Well, if you're going to tell them, you better have something lined up that's going to yeah. supplant that income. Yeah. And so, so is that what we're we're basing our entire churches and our structure all on that kind of stuff? Where it's like we don't allow any sort of diversity, any sort yeah. of diversity of thought, and it's just so it runs counter to everything we experience. If you, I'll use an analogy. If you were trying to like. Um, create a forest because you, you know, you want to, you know, rebuild this forest because you tore it down. You know, we've been tearing it down. You want to reforestification, whatever the word is. And you take one tree and you plant it a billion times like this monoculture. That forest will die from disease, from pestilence. Yeah. Because that's not, that's not natural. That's not the way forest. I was just in Hawaii. And when you go on the north, Northwest side of the island, there's thousands of different. It's a you know, it's like a tropical forest. Sure, thousands of different species. Very healthy. Everything yeah. was fantastic. That's how things are healthy and diversity. So if if in our churches we, uh, what if our creole statements was we all affirm each other in our diversity of thought? That would be a great creedal statement. There you go. No, I can handle that. Yeah. And and that church would be healthy because it would allow for repentance. It would allow for changing of worldviews. And it would, and diversity is how we become healthier. If we if we all go down to, we all have to think the same thing. We end up with cults. We end up That's with right. cult like behavior. Yes. It's yes. what we see in evangelicalism. It's why yes. it's why when you deconstruct, you are asked to no longer be here any longer. That's right. You are you know you're not excommunicated or burnt to the stake any longer. You're just not allowed. You're not yep. you're not allowed here. Yeah. But point being, once you once you repent, you're done. You have to repent yeah. back to the way they say. <laughs> yeah. So no, this is, again, going back to um, – I haven't talked about my house church in a long time. But our, our house church was unique in that respect because we did – because we didn't have a statement of faith, we were open to uh, – so we had a room full of people who all had radically different ideas. We had people who, who had come out of Pentecostalism, um, you know, Baptist, you know, Charismatics, um, you know, uh, the, the brethren movement, like, oh, I mean, we were just all over the place. And what was really beautiful is we did not argue theology because that wasn't our goal. We weren't about proving who's right or wrong. But what that did was it was beautiful because now all of a sudden when we're having, we're discussing, you know, whatever scripture or issues or, or, or spiritual development or whatever we're doing, sharing our stories or whatever. And these differences pop up. 
you can learn from them. You can go, oh, I never thought of it that way. I've never considered it this way. I, you know, this is a new idea for me. If you are in a room full of people who either really do all agree with all the same theology and or are pretending that they do, you're never going to have, none of your ideas will be challenged because everyone in the room is just going to nod their head no matter what you say. They go, yeah, that's right. So yeah. you won't grow. No one will challenge your ideas. Um, that, to me, that's hell. I, that, that just sounds like, I, I, I don't want to spend any time with, in a group like that. I want to be, I want to have people, you know, share ideas and thoughts and, and perspectives that I've never considered before. Because even if I disagree with it, at least I've had a new idea. I've never, I can think about something for a second and that might even yeah. spark a new thing. Like I may not agree with that exact idea, but I go, oh, but that makes me think about this or what about that? You know? And so this is, this is to me, a thriving, growing, healthy community is one that does embrace and allow people to have different ideas without being condemned or, or kicked out or anything like that. And this is the reason why, by the way, like a few years ago, you know, I was considering like looking for a job or something. And I was like, well, I'll go on, I'll go and look and see if they're, you know, I could, I could be a teaching pastor at a church maybe, or something like this, or a youth pastor maybe, or associate pastor, whatever. And this is the thing, man, I will never, I can never, ever work in any church um, ever because of this, they may make you stand, sign these statements of faith. and. And many of them, like uh, Wendy worked for a while at a Christian uh, school. She was uh -huh. teaching at a private Christian school in Orange County. And they got to the point where not only did she have to sign, um, you know, sort of a statement of faith, which included nonsense like the eternal torment and, you know, that uh, marriage was between a man and a woman and all that stuff, which is like, what does that have to do with anything? That has nothing to do with teaching biology or science or history or, you know, it's or art. It's just so stupid. But um, but not only did they ask them to sign that, she had to. They asked every teacher to sign it every year. So at the so it, it's wow. not like you said like you signed it five years ago, and now you're now ever since then your your views have changed. But you are not going to voluntarily tell them that. But the way they fixed it was every year you had to reaffirm, and then sometimes they would add new things. You have to reaffirm this and this, and. Yeah, dude, this is why I could never work in any church or Christian organization ever. Because it's basically I, it's basically saying, please don't repent ever. Right. On these yeah, issues, please, never repent. Ever. Please sign your non-repentant agreement. Yes. That's what it should be called. Yes. Document A, the non-repentance agreement. <laughs> you agree to never rethink anything ever. That's so I mean, it's sad that that's the majority. You know, it's like yeah. You would think that kind of stuff would be fringe, but it's not. The fringe stuff is like imagining a Christianity where like all faiths are really welcome. Yeah. That would be really fringe idea. Like if your yeah. statement of faith, like we include Muslims and Sikhs and it doesn't matter what you are and we're yes. going to love you in the same way that Jesus loved people. Now, dude, I Amen. would, I would join I mean, that. I would that, join that. That group. is some, you go to that church and I guarantee there's like nine people there. Because right. it's so fringe, they're in this shitty building that they can barely pay rent for. <laughs> you know, it's like well, even that's here why we in, in a house Chico. church. We're yeah, you were in a house in church because you couldn't afford anything like that. But but dude, but dude, we did. We had Muslims come and visit us. We had total atheists come and visit us. We had one time we had a group come from, I think they were from Japan, and it was like five or six of them, um, and they were part of some kind of healing light cult, and they came to our group and they had a wonderful time and we did too it was like you know what i mean everybody was welcome literally and they no one felt judged we didn't try to convert them and they didn't try to convert us that's the other part of it you know we didn't give them some kind of soapbox to to try to pitch their particular beliefs either their healing light <laughs> yeah but um but you know what i mean like it it's just so refreshing to be able to sit in groups like that and i've only found one other group close to what we were doing um, and they're in Florida, but, um, uh, yeah, it's pretty rare to find something that, that wide open. Yeah. And, and what do you do? They're very, I mean, like the Unitarian Universalist church in my town is very small. Yes. Um, I used to attend a UCC church. It closed down because it didn't have the money, didn't, you know, so the very, the very social aware churches. Yeah. Uh, without the need for creedal statements, it's you know UCC is denominational rather than sure. creedal. We never, you know, I don't 
did we even have a creed? Do the UCCs even have a creedal statement? You no, know, I don't, I don't even do. know. But here, here's, I doubt they do. Yeah. So, but here in my experience, so and I'm going to just caveat this by saying I've only visited a Unitarian church maybe twice. Twice. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say. Yeah. So I don't really know. And man, so maybe, hey, if I, listeners, if I'm wrong, please correct me. I'm, I'm, I'm open to repent on this statement. But my experience when I visited, this was one up in Hollywood. Um, some friends of mine were going to. And it was a good experience. I mean, I didn't not enjoy the experience, but what was weird to me? So it was open to all these other things, right? So they, they, had, they had quotes on the wall and part of the service. There was, like you said, there were Sikhs and uh, Islam and Judaism and all this stuff. But it was almost like, and I, I, w- I understand why, but it was, but someone who's come from a Christian tradition, it just felt odd to me because what it, the impression that I got was that they were open to all faiths except Christianity. And I think it's because Christianity has become so toxic and so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we are the only ones who are, who have truth. We're the only ones who are right. So I think mm-hmm. because of that, their guard was up about using any Christian language or Jesus language because they didn't yeah. want to give the impression that they also were buying into this exclusive exclusivity of, you know, Christianity. But, but, but for me personally, I, I would rather be in a group that is wide open that would include Jesus, but also, you know, uh, other voices. Like I I had the same experience, uh, both, both times I visited a Quaker fellowship. So we, we visited a Quaker group in Boise, Idaho, which was wonderful. But again, um, I I just got the vibe that um, I probably shouldn't say anything that would quote Jesus or the New Testament. And so I didn't. And then later on, I emailed the, the leader of the group and I told him, hey, I kind of got that vibe. And he goes, oh, yeah, you're right. And we ended up having lunch together and he explained to me, yeah, yeah, they really don't they really frown on that. They don't want you in the group, you know, sharing any things from the Bible or Jesus or like, so I was like, well, that's kind of weird. And the, but then the same thing happened when we visited a Quaker group here in El Paso, and it was the same kind of vibe. Um, like, which is really sad to me. I think it's that's not Jesus's fault. <laughs> that's that's Christians' fault, right? Christianity no, has yeah. made itself such um, an exclusivist religion that people just get nervous and defensive. If you are, which, if you which I get, I totally get. Like I have empathy for for that. I have empathy for the atheists that rail against Christianity and they're really pissed off about things. Like I have empathy for that. It's it's a little nearsighted and everything, but I understand the reason for it, and I understand yeah. that people's experiences are valid, and that Christianity has traumatized and oppressed yeah. and marginalized and backed slavery and has backed oh. anti-science and has backed all the shitty things that it does. Yeah, and, now, and now anti-LGBTQ. hundred uh, percent. And trans. And, yeah, and so exactly. I, I get all that at the same time, like, like you said, that's not Jesus's fault. Just like, just like if we have some really shitty science, Yes. We don't say, oh, well, science is bunk because we used to believe scientifically that uh, homosexuality was a diagnosis. It's like, right. well, or that, or that the planets we throw around out the earth. Yes. Yeah. You know, 50, 75 years ago, homosexuality was a psychological d- diagnosis. Therefore, let's chuck out psychology. No, hold right. on. That, that's a shitty view scientifically, but it's debunked. So, right. yeah, it, it's hard, though. Because the Christians that are the loudest uh-huh. are the Marjorie Taylor Greens, who says uh-huh. she's a Christian nationalist, are oh, Bobert, yeah. who say that she's a Christian nationalist, uh-huh. Alex Jones quoting Christ. Yeah. I saw a video of Alex Jones quoting oh. Christ and the fruit of Christ and calling um, Fetterman the most evil man alive, or Bannon called him that or something. What yeah. I can't. It's like that's all Christianity has become. Yes. Like not not on the not on the streets. Not in the grassroots because, right. you know, there's great Christians, but the loud ones are are um, stripping any sort of credibility Christianity has left. True. Which True. is sad. Yeah. No, I mean, and then when you get – so those are sort of like the – we're living in this crazy phase of history where Christianity in America is turning into a political party. 
Um, it's it's know. it's honestly early thirties Germany. Yeah, I th- I no. honestly think that it's like nineteen thirty three thirty five Germany. Yes, and then when I also and then recently I have seen at least two specific um, clips that have been shared um, on Twitter and on Instagram from conservative Christian Republicans on TV shows um, say that um, liberalism is a is a demonic. That if you're a Democrat, you are being uh, influenced by demons and these kinds of things. And when I hear that kind of language, it's like it, it goes straight back to the Rwandan genocide. This is the exact kind of language that preceded the Rwandan genocide, where thousands of people were hacked to death by their neighbors, um, was because one faction demonized the other and dehumanized them to the point where, and again, uh, enough people really do believe that if your neighbor or, you know, if you meet someone and they are of a different political party than you, they are demonic. They are possessed by Satan. And then therefore anything you do to them is justified because, dude, they're evil, right? They're pure evil. And that's scary to me when I, to see this kind of language, you know, people talking about civil war, they're demonizing other people to this degree. It's very, very sad. But I was going to go back to you and then say that. So on the one hand, it's not surprising if people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, or I mean, these are politicians, or political rhetoric, you know, people like Alex Jones or Bannon who have these podcasts, whatever, they're, they're just trying to fire up and stir up their base. But, you know, I mean, I don't think most people look to those people, to those voices for sort of spiritual guidance. Like they wouldn't email Marjorie Taylor Greene, God, I hope not, and say, hey, what does Matthew 17 mean? You know what I mean? Like they're not asking for scriptural advice, spiritual advice from those people, although they might be taking it. But but when you get to the point where we have this other phenomenon, this is also terrifying. People like Pastor Greg Locke and many other churches across the country that are full-on Trump churches. It's Trumpianity. Every Sunday morning, there will be a Let's Go Brandon flag, you know, in the parking lot. There will be a Trump flag on on the stage. There'll be people in the in the pews wearing red MAGA hats. The sermon will be not a quotation or a sermon or a homily from the Sermon on the Mount, not even anything from 1 Corinthians or, or Hebrews, nothing from the Bible. The sermon will be why Biden is satanic and evil, why Hillary and Obama are behind everything, why Trump is going to come and save the world. Like he is their savior. And so when, when we have... Christian churches in America with pastors, supposedly, with an asterisk, pastors preaching, quote unquote, sermons that are nothing but political nonsense and hate. It's full on political hate and and tribalism and nationalism. And oh, my gosh, man, to see that happening more and more. And it's becoming normal to the point where, like, I'm watching. I just saw a clip again the other day of. Um, I can't remember. The, I don't know who the guy is. I've never, actually never seen this guy before. He was a African-American pastor. And again, his sermon was all anti, uh, pro-Trump and people jumping and cheering like it was a revival meeting. You know, the, the camera pans across the crowd. They're standing on their yeah. chairs. They're cheering. They all have MAGA hats on. And I'm just thinking, what are they thinking right now? Like, I would just love to grab one of those people at random and pull them off out of the crowd and just go, I want to just ask you something. Is this church for you? This is what you expected to come when you come to church on a Sunday morning? Like, I just don't get it. How have we gotten this jacked up? Yeah. I I actually wrote an article. I haven't written much for Pathios because I've been so busy, but um, just how, even though I disagree with like 95% of the theology I grew up with. Yeah. We were at least taught certain things. Character matters. Be kind. Humility. Show compassion. Don't be judgmental. Like all these were, you know, respect, honor people. Like it's become the opposite. And that's it's braggadocio. It's loud. It's obnoxious. It's in your face. It's bully tactics. Yes. And, And it's say what you want. Like take the politics out of it. Take the, you know, because they'll say, oh, I like his economic policies or whatever. And it's like, no, it's it's become, 
its own cult of personality type of following. And they're and they're all the same. Like they they have the same talking points. It's not just about Trump. They have the yeah. all all the people who are like Trump. They all have the same talking points. They all use the same language. It's all loaded language. It's all violent language. It's riling people up. It's getting under skin. It's yes. bold. It's brash. And it's like, wow, the the Christianity I grew up with, I reject. But the parts of it that I accept are those sort of things. Respect for people, whether you disagree or not. Yeah. These are the things my parents taught me. Yeah. And there's yeah. none of that in the party. There's none of in the Republican Party. There's none of that in the that type of Christianity. They're not humble. They're not, you know, someone like Trump will never admit they're wrong, which yeah. is the whole point of repentance. Like they're following someone who is openly unrepentant, which yes. is just it's my it's mind boggling. And and they'll they'll turn around. They'll cash their check from the from the church. They'll lay their head on their pillow. They'll say their prayers. They'll do all those things. And they're so blind to their own hypocrisy that yeah. they won't see it. No wonder Jesus turned tables over and flipped shit up and, <laughs> and got under skin because he's like, it's the same pattern of using your religion and using your status and using your power to get in the face of others and lift yourself up at the expense of others. No, we're doing it's the exactly. Same yeah, no, it's exactly right. Um, it's, it is mind blowing. I mean, because, um, you know, Wendy's, Parents, sadly, are are total, you know, Trumpers. But I watched them. I remember. I remember when um, Trump was running against Hillary, and they were talking about how they they held their nose. They they said I that they held their nose and voted for Trump because they just couldn't bring themselves to vote for Hillary, and they didn't want to throw their vote away in a third party candidate. They hated the fact that Trump was. Well, I mean, they could see it. I mean, we had conversations. This is, again, before the election. And they would say things like, you know, he's prideful. He's a womanizer. He's embarrassing. He says horrible, hateful things. Um, All he cares about is money. Um, All this stuff. So their eyes were open. They they went into it knowing who he was and held their nose in their words, held their nose and voted for him. And fast forward to today. And he is right about everything. He's the greatest gift God ever gave to the Christian church. Yep. Um, he's not wrong about anything. Everybody hates him. They're just trying to tear him down. He's never done anything wrong. I mean, I'm just like, what the hell? How yep. have how has this happened? The attitude of the MAGA Christians in 2015 when he was running for primaries. Yeah. This guy cannot be our president. That's this right. guy cannot be our our. Paul, Lindsey Graham, Paul Lindsey Graham, famously, right? There's a thing of him yeah. on uh, on one of these news shows. Like he's a he's a blowhard. He's an idiot. He's a moron. He's a buffoon. Yeah, yeah. And then now so, he's kissing his ass. <laughs> so I guess I guess we just refuted ourselves. Christians will repent. Mm-hmm. They change their mind, not on the things that Jesus asked us to change our mind right. about. Character they doesn't their matter. Mind. No, the they changed their matter. mind on Trump. They, yes. they, they, they really did not like him in 2015. It was embarrassing that he was on that stage with all those other candidates like Kasich and all those other Republicans who are just boring white Republicans, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was like Donald Trump out there calling everyone names, belittling everyone. No one liked him. Now they changed their mind and they're they will fall right in line with someone like that. Which just goes to prove or disprove what I started. They they don't repent. Well, they do repent. I would say I would suggest humbly suggest that they're repenting in the wrong direction. No, that's exactly right, and that, it's very <laughs> disturbing. And it is like disturbing. yeah, like I, I'm with you, man. I I wish I wish that evangelical Christianity would go back to the way it was six years ago, right when they cared about. All those things, character and truth and, you know, uh, all that stuff like that. Th- that but was, did they, though? Or was well, it all smoking if, if smoke mirrors? Right. Because now we realize they didn't really. So, you know, what this all this reminds me of. There's an excellent song. Um, I just I just looked it up because I wanted to find the lyrics again. So um, if you've seen the documentary and if you haven't, go look at it. It's really great. Um, Postcards from Babylon. It's the documentary about Brian Zahn uh, based on Brian Zahn's book. Um, but at the end of that documentary, there's a song called Hymn for the 81%. It's by a guy named Daniel Dietrich, uh, D-I-E-T-R-I, 
C-H, Daniel Dietrich. Go look it up on YouTube. Um, but oh my gosh, it, it's all about exactly what we're saying. So I'm going to read a couple of lyrics. He says, I grew up in your churches, Sunday morning and evening service, knelt in tears at the foot of the old rugged cross. You taught me every life is sacred, feed the hungry, clothe the naked. I learned from you the highest law is love. And I believed you when you said that I should trust the words in red to guide my steps to a wicked world. I assumed you'd do the same. So imagine my my dismay when I watched you lead the sheep to the wolves. And dude, (laughs) this song is just all about this disillusionment of exactly what we're talking about. Uh, Basically, I was raised this way. You told me all of these things mattered. And then Mm -hmm. one by one, I watched you sell this away, give up on this and turn around and, you know, like just turn your back on everything that you said you believe. So, um, yeah, the, the, one of the courses is you said to love the lost. So I'm loving you now. You said to speak the truth. I'm calling you out. Why don't you live the words that you put in my mouth? May love overcome and justice roll down. Like, ah, oh, damn, it's a great song. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I recommend you guys check that out. You can download it. I'm sure I'll iTunes and stuff. Um, but yeah, dude, it's, this is exactly right. Like we, we have just watched this unbelievable. Uh, and I've heard people even say it this way too, that we should thank Donald Trump because he was a massive spotlight that just shined on evangelical Christianity and exposed this is who they really are, sadly. This is what they will, this is how far they will go to gain political power and influence. Um, this is what they'll sell away their integrity that they will sell away in exchange for being validated um, and empowered through a political platform and a, and a political candidate. It's, it's really, really sad. So again, what, what is needed is some serious repentance. And, and some people probably will. I'm, well, I'm some, sure. Yeah, many have. Um, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Some people are waking up. I, I then want to have a conversation of like, damn, it takes like literal treason for you to repent. Like, right. And, and and some of you won't. I mean, look at people are still like, denying I, it. They're denying the treason. Liz Cheney, yeah, oh. became persona non grata for the MAGA crowd. I got to tell you, dude, and she I got her vote ass her. whooped. All right, I would she vote got- for her. I, I am not a Republican, and I don't even believe in voting. But if my choices were her or Donald Trump, you bet your ass I'd vote for Liz Cheney. <laughs> right, wait, but the irony of that is that she voted alongside Trump ninety three percent of the time. Right. She is a staunch conservative. I She's have no a, respect. I no, have no, no, no respect for her yeah, for her views, her voting record. Oh, she's anti-abortion. She she's anti-LGBTQ. Right, she's she's right. anti-gay um, marriage. All those and, things. And what 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 upsets me is that she got her ass whooped in the primaries. Like yeah, whooped. Yeah. If it was a football game, it was forty-five to ten. Like she got whooped, yeah. which just goes to show you that. What would it truly take for some Christians to repent of this? What would it take? Donald Trump literally shooting someone on Fifth Avenue? He said famously that he could and not lose supporters. And I used to believe that's full of shit. I used to think that there's some theoretical truth to that. I think that is literally true. It's not hyperbole. It's it's not not hyperbole. (laughs) It's true. He could shoot someone in the face and there will be many (laughs) supporters. Well, he deserved it. Yeah, but, that guy deserved it. Come on. But Hunter Biden, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> but Obama, yeah. But Obama was born in Kenya. You know, I mean, I mean there are there are millions of people. Please don't to quote me out of context there. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice sound bite. <laughs> please, if you have audio editing skills, don't use them in that instance. Um there are millions of people who would be just like that and they would write it yeah. off and and make some sort of apologetic for it. And instead of repenting, the one thing—I mean—they always say that you emphasize love, but not repentance in Christianity. You progressive, you, and I'm like, when do you ever repent? Right. You only—we re- honestly only repent. It's not even repentance. We just feel bad and we ask for forgiveness when we beat off, or when we look at porn, <laughs> or when we look at some ass, or when we say fuck. That's not really repentance, though. It's just feeling bad for some shit you did. Yeah. But we don't really repent in the church ever, and this is oh, proof. Yeah, I just want to fact check myself because um, I thought I thought when I just said something right there that I might have been wrong, and I double I just fact checked it, and I was wrong. So let me right here live. I'm going to repent. It's a redaction. Um, here we go. Here's a redaction. So Liz Cheney actually uh, admitted that she was wrong for uh, 
for standing against same-sex marriage. And I think it's because her sister is gay. She was wrong for standing against it. Yes. Oh. Let's change the announcer's support for same-sex okay. marriage, reversing a long-standing position. That was in... Um, Source and year? This is New York Times. Uh, oh, okay. The article is dated 2021, September 27th, 2021. So okay. um, yeah. there you go. That's, at least on that, she repented. Look at that. She hey. repented. And she repented and I, because of hypo, uh, contact hypothesis. Her sister, right? Yes, her sister. It takes, okay. it takes personal. Yes. She you knows know, You are confronted. Yes, exactly. Yes. yes. And love. No amount of, and no, love someone. Exactly. No amount of arguments, no amount of whatever. Yeah. It's like, I've known you for X, all my whole life and I love you and you're gay. Yeah. And so I'm confronted with that now. Yeah. And so this is, this is again where, you know. I totally agree with you. I'm glad we talked about repentance because I, I think it is obviously it's something uh, <clears throat> in in the in the true meaning of the word repentance, right? The way Jesus metanoia in the Greek to think differently or to think again to going back to this constant conversion, death to the status quo. Because again, that that death to the status quo is the death to my personal status quo. Like I don't exactly. allow I don't allow my my ideas to get. Um, ingrained. I don't let the cement harden. That I'm open to learning and growing and changing my mind about something. And um, I think that's just a good thing to have, good practice to have, whether it's in theology, religion, politics, your just your own personal life. You know what I mean? Like you could you could have this belief about something, and you know it can be anything, right? But to but if if, if you're confronted with the evidence. You, you're willing to say, oh, you know what? I was wrong about that. You know, okay. Okay, I like puppies now. Or I like, I, I used to not like asparagus, but you know, um, this was really good. I tried it and it was really awesome. Like that you're yeah. willing, you're not so rigid and boneheaded that you're, I'm never wrong about something. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, it, Jesus asks us to be childlike, not childish. <laughs> childish is, I, yes. I don't like asparagus. Well, when have you tried it? Never. Well, that's well, yes. I mean, that, but you already know you don't like something. See, so my son that, used to be that way. He was like, I, I don't like, I hate this food. I'm like, well, when was the last time you tried it? Well, I, I haven't tried it. Then you don't know. And and how have you tried it? Like I used to hate Brussels sprouts. My mom, I love her, but she used to boil them. Right. And give you a plate of Brussels. Like Did you put I, don't, vinegar? I wouldn't like that now. Maybe Did you put some vinegar, vinegar over it. Yeah. I have no idea. I, I used to hate them. Now. You chop them up, them. you pan fry them, you throw them in some pancetta, yes. you use some ball, yes. you re- you reduce the balsamic glaze, and Brussels uh-huh. sprouts are fucking delicious. Thank you. Yes, I could eat nothing but roasted Brussels sprouts because they yes. are so good. The way Wendy phenomenal. Makes them. They're so, awesome. Yeah. Are we going to be? Are we going to approach life childlike? Is like having wonder and creativity and being yeah. awed by things and you know curious. Yes. Being childish yes. is putting our foot down in the in the grocery store because you your mom didn't give you a ding dong or whatever, <laughs> a ring ding, and laying on the ground. I just imagine like not to bring it back to Trump all the time, but Trump is the equivalent of a toddler laying in the freezer section, like yeah. <laughs> whining about shit. Yeah, get I your want ass to. up and let's go. I want a popsicle. Yeah, and Christianity yeah. is is more childish than childlike. I, There's no I curiosity in, in no. Christianity. So no, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. Uh, and that's again, like Jesus was. This whole thing was. Uh, I think it's in Luke um, that I can't remember exactly where it is, but he says something like, "Unless you change," and that's exactly what this is. Repentance is all about. It's this willingness to change. Unless mm-hmm. you change and become like little children, you will never see the kingdom. And right. yeah, it's it's again not childish. It's childlike. Yep. And it requires that repentance, that change, that that uh, that constant conversion, repentance, all that. Such an important thing. And again, I feel like I'm glad we started this topic, though, talking about our own repentance. Right. We didn't start off like blaming other people that they should do it. Like because we embrace it. Right. I am a serial repenter. And I hope I always maintain that that willingness to to admit when I'm wrong about something. Yeah. Uh, to grow and mature, and like I, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I do think maintaining that, um, that quality and that attitude of repentance of metanoia is really important. Yeah, just being curious, curious about everything. Like that's what I think fuels repentance. You know, the first time, the first time I heard every non-black person was racist, right in America, 
yeah. any white person was racist. And, you know, you, you don't want you don't want to admit yes. that, right? The first time you hear that, I don't know when I first heard that, but years and years ago, you're like, no, I'm not going to repent of that. And then you're like, well, be curious. What what is the meaning behind that? What's going yeah. on there? Oh, you know, you get into systemic racism and benefits that you don't that you don't get as a black man. All that stuff we talk about. And it's like, okay, then I have to change my mind on that. Yeah. Yeah. In some way, those who benefit from a racist system and go along with it and don't speak out against it and aren't actively pursuing to knock those systems down. Yes. You're you're ipso facto sort of (laughs) racist. Like, right. Because you're benefiting from something you know is wrong and you don't do shit about it. Like, that's kind of racist. Like, right. So repent. Yes, exactly. No, it's and that's a great example too because I think again, especially for for old white guys like me, um, you know, it's it's a it's a process, it's a journey of of recognizing. Well, you know, there's this willful willful ignorance too of like, <clears throat> you know, when this whole conversation came up about like uh, like white privilege and things like, oh, that's not that's a myth, that's not true. It's like, well, okay, but look at it. Listen to people that are explaining it to you. Can you see? All of the ways historically that we have that white people who were in power constructed a system that benefited them and disadvantaged people that weren't white. Um, okay, first of all, you need to acknowledge that. You need to see it. You need to, you need to be educated about that. And then once you recognize it, then you, ca- you can't deny, well, yeah, that system does exist and it does benefit me in ways that I've not considered before which means it does disadvantage other people and it's still happening. And now that I know the more I continue to just perpetuate that and go along with it. And, um, you know, it's not enough to just say I'm not a racist, meaning I don't hate, I don't personally hate people of color, but are you an anti-racist? Are you someone that's who's like, right. Yep. Are you working against it to say yeah. the system exists whether I personally am a racist or not, but am I am I interested in helping to tear that down? You know. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think if I had to guess from my many conversations with black folks, um, I would have to guess that they don't really care about an individual's personal racism. Yeah. So much as they care about the systems in place that benefit yeah. others that that don't benefit them. Yes. So it's it's like stop personalizing this like I'm not a I don't hate black people therefore I'm not a racist. It's like no. That's not even that's like 4% of the conversation. The other 96% of the conversation is how are the systems in place? Yeah. But it takes it takes repentance. It takes curiosity yeah. and repentance and listening and we don't do that well as we've established. Yeah. Exactly Except for right. you and I, which are fucking like oh well in, enlightened as it. Of course, <laughs> I'm glowing in the dark here. I'm so enlightened. <laughs> that's because you're white, Keith. <laughs> well, that's why you're right. That probably is why. Oh, oh. oh beautiful. Well, yeah, that's been another another doozy. Thank you for listening, everyone who listens. If you don't listen on iTunes, that's fine. But go over to iTunes and leave the rating and review there. Yeah, because that helps the algorithm. I don't know how. Don't ask me how. The more reviews and ratings you get, the more Apple pushes it on people, and that's we we want to build our platforms to where we are the new Alex Jones and the new Steve Bannon podcast. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? If that's the goal, that's the goal, baby. That's that would be beautiful. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe one day. And by the way, we say you guys are doing something. Our listeners, you're doing something right because our numbers have been moving up pretty well somehow somehow yeah somehow um so thank you thank you all that are listening and if you do you know enjoy the episode it really helps if you will yeah rate and review it share it on social media let people hey this was a great episode let your followers on twitter know or facebook whatever um yeah that would be really helpful and um and we're gonna do our best to keep on kicking out great content yeah yeah and and i will say that before we move on, this is the last episode of Apostates Anonymous before some huge, huge, huge news happens. Oh, that's right. But I, I can't leak it here. No, we can't. But I'll say that the next episode, we'll talk about it, and it'll be fun to talk about. And uh, yeah, just look forward to listening next time. Yep. There you go. There's your teaser. There's your teaser. <laughs> like a pro. All right. All right. Bye, Keith. See you, man.